Hello and welcome to the Rarely Heard podcast, a nine-part series that's all about Hunter syndrome, a rare and life-changing disease. This podcast is initiated and funded by Takeda Pharmaceuticals and is intended for an international audience outside of the USA and UK. We want to provide caregivers and patients with a comprehensive overview of Hunter syndrome and to share the perspectives of experts and parents of children who have the disease. We hope this podcast gives you some practical advice and resources on living with Hunter syndrome. In the first three episodes of this series, we will cover the basics of Hunter syndrome. What it is, its underlying cause, how it is diagnosed and managed, and its impact on the well-being of patients and families. After that, we will deepen our understanding in Episodes 4 and 5 by having a conversation with Dr. Barbara Burton, a specialist in rare diseases with many years of experience in treating patients with Hunter's Syndrome. After getting her clinical insights, we will invite a representative from a patient organisation in Episode 6 to tell us about the types of resources and support that patient organisations can provide. We will also talk to parents of children with Hunter Syndrome in Episodes 7 and 8 to find out how they have coped with the disease. We will then wrap up the series in Episode 9 by summarising all the advice we have heard from our experts. So, in this first episode, let's start by going into the underlying cause of Hunter syndrome, its early signs and how doctors diagnose it. Hunter syndrome is a rare genetic condition with symptoms that worsen over time and affect virtually every organ and system of the body. The disease can manifest in a variety of ways, and it has a wide spectrum of severity. At one end, Patients may have a slowly progressing disease, which is known as the attenuated form of Hunter syndrome. The term attenuated is used instead of mild because the effects of the disease are too pronounced to be considered mild. At the other end of the spectrum, some patients may have a rapidly progressing and severe form of the disease. However, there is a wide range of severities between these two forms and many patients experience the disease somewhere along this spectrum. Regardless of the level of severity, patients with Hunter syndrome face many challenges in their daily lives. There is currently no cure available, but there are treatments that can slow its progression and improve the patient's quality of life. To understand how Hunter's syndrome develops, we need to learn a little about normal metabolic processes in the body. Many cells in our bodies contain special sugar molecules called glycosaminoglycans or GAGs. These GAGs play crucial roles in the body, like influencing the growth and division of cells. They are also an important part of the structure of bones, cartilage, skin, tendons and other tissues. For example, they form part of the lubricating fluid for joints. Our bodies naturally recycle gags during normal maintenance processes. So new gags are constantly being created 
while old ones are broken down by specialized enzymes. These enzymes are found in a compartment of the cell called a lysosome. Patients with Hunter syndrome have a mutation in their genetic code that causes a deficiency in one of the specialized enzymes that break down GAGs, called iduronate 2 sulfatase This enzyme breaks down the GAGs dermatin sulfate and heparin sulfate. Without iduronate 2 sulfatase these GAGs are not completely broken down, and they start to accumulate inside lysosomes. Over time, the buildup keeps increasing and interferes with normal cellular activities, leading to Hunter syndrome. Since the GAG buildup occurs within lysosomes, Hunter syndrome and other such rare diseases are called lysosomal storage disorders. GAGs were previously known as mucopolysaccharides, so another name for Hunter syndrome is mucopolysaccharidosis type 2 or MPS2. Now, let's understand more about how Hunter syndrome is passed down the generations in families. Every child inherits a full set of genetic information from each parent, including the X and Y chromosomes, which determine whether the baby is a boy or girl. Girls have two X chromosomes, one from each parent, while boys get an X chromosome from their mother and a Y chromosome from their father. Hunter syndrome is an X-linked recessive disorder. It is X-linked because the iduronate 2-sulfatase gene, which is mutated in this disease, is located on the X chromosome. A recessive disorder means that a mutated gene for the condition will not cause disease as long as it is paired with a normal copy of the same gene. So, a girl with one affected X chromosome is unlikely to develop Hunter syndrome because she has a normal copy of the iduronate 2-sulfatase gene on her other X chromosome. However, she is considered a carrier and can pass the mutation on to her children even if she does not show any symptoms. Boys have only one X chromosome, so a single altered copy of the gene is enough to cause Hunter syndrome, since there is no matching gene on the Y chromosome. If the mother is a carrier, there is a 50% chance that her son will inherit the affected X chromosome and develop the disease. In some cases, Hunter syndrome may develop without being passed down in the family. This can happen if a random and spontaneous mutation occurs in the formation of the egg cell and affects the iduronate 2-sulfatase gene. In this case, the mother is not a carrier of Hunter syndrome. Around 1 in 170,000 male live births are affected by Hunter syndrome, and many types of genetic mutations can lead to deficiencies in iduronate 2-sulfatase there could be changes to a single letter of the DNA or even small insertions or deletions to areas of the DNA. Patients with attenuated forms of Hunter syndrome may still have small amounts of working enzyme, which allows for some level of gag breakdown and slows down the rate of disease progression. On the other hand, 6-8% to 8 of patients have a complete deletion of the gene 
and are more likely to develop a severe and rapidly progressing form of the disease. In general, it is hard to correlate the severity of disease with the type of mutation because the disease is so variable. For example, even patients within the same family and with the same mutation could have differences in the specific symptoms experienced or the rate of disease progression. Now that we understand the underlying cause of Hunter syndrome, let's find out how its early signs and symptoms develop. Severe forms of the disease account for two-thirds of all cases. Symptoms usually emerge between the ages of two and four, although their extent can differ considerably between patients. Infants may be born with a large head circumference and start off with above-average weight and height parameters. As they grow older, though, they tend to lag behind the expected height for their age. Toddlers have frequent respiratory and ear infections, enlarged tonsils and adenoids, and inguinal or umbilical hernias. With time, they develop hearing loss and breathing difficulties while sleeping. They may also have chronic diarrhea and an enlarged liver or spleen, which makes the abdomen protrude. As these children grow up, they show significant problems with bone formation, called dystostosis multiplex. The bones may be too thick or are abnormally shaped, leading to further complications. For instance, changes to the vertebrae can make the spine less stable and compress nerves in the spinal cord. Skeletal changes and joint stiffness can cause pain and limit the child's range of motion. Stiffness also leads to a contraction of the hips, shoulders, elbows and knees and causes a bent-over stance while walking. The hands are usually affected as limited joint movement makes the fingers stiff and permanently curved. Children also share characteristic facial features like a large head, flat face and prominent forehead. Their nose tends to be broad with a flattened bridge and flared nostrils. They also have an enlarged tongue and thick lips. However, even as we go over these symptoms, it is important to know that not every affected child will experience all of the problems that can occur in Hunter syndrome. In severe forms of the disease, gags accumulate in the brain, leading to a gradual loss or regression in mental development and skills. Children may have normal levels of mental activity and intelligence until they are two years old. This is followed by a plateau phase and a rapid decline in brain functions like language and in the ability to make controlled movements. Other physical symptoms like hearing problems, poor peripheral vision and joint stiffness can further complicate this picture by reducing the child's ability to learn and communicate. Unfortunately, children with severe forms of disease may not live past their second decade of life and will eventually succumb to heart failure or lung disease. Patients with attenuated forms of Hunter syndrome make up about a third of all cases, and the initial symptoms may appear later in childhood or early adolescence. 
they share the same physical problems as children with severe forms of the disease, but the rate of progression is much slower. These patients either don't have gag accumulation in the brain, or it happens so slowly that they have normal or near-normal levels of intelligence and can attend regular school and college. Adults may be able to work successfully and have a family. However, they still experience debilitating physical symptoms like hearing loss, airway and heart problems, and compression of the spinal cord. All right, I think we have a good overview of how Hunter's syndrome progresses over time. In this last part of the episode, let's find out how the disease is diagnosed. Reaching a correct diagnosis of Hunter syndrome is difficult for a few reasons. Children generally appear normal at birth, and the first symptoms that appear will depend on the severity of disease and rate of gag buildup. The attenuated forms are particularly hard to diagnose because they progress slowly. Early symptoms like chronic ear infections and hernias can mimic normal childhood problems so they may be overlooked by doctors who are unfamiliar with Hunter's syndrome. Doctors usually won't suspect a rare disease unless they identify a specific cluster of symptoms during physical examinations or while they're reviewing the child's clinical and surgical history. For example, toddlers with Hunter's syndrome may have undergone multiple surgeries, including hernia repairs, tonsil or adenoid removal, and carpal tunnel release to address symptoms of Hunter syndrome. Doctors typically consider testing for rare diseases when the existing symptoms can't be explained by other causes. However, it may be difficult to recognize a cluster of symptoms across the body if specialists only examine those that fall within their area of expertise. These challenges in identifying Hunter syndrome often lead to a delay in diagnosis. Some patients have to wait several years after initial symptoms develop to get an accurate diagnosis. They often go through a convoluted journey in which many specialists are consulted and investigations are carried out. This diagnostic odyssey can be very stressful and frustrating. It also delays the start of appropriate treatment and increases the risk of irreversible organ damage. Once doctors suspect that a lysosomal storage disorder is involved, they may ask for a urine test to determine the gag levels in the patient's urine. Most children with these disorders have higher levels of urine gag than is expected for their age. However, the urine test can sometimes give false negative results, so it is not the only diagnostic test ordered. Doctors will also request an enzyme assay or test to determine the level of idurinate 2-sulfatase activity in blood or skin cells. This assay is carried out with a dried blood spot test, where samples of blood are placed on filter paper, which is analysed in a lab. Compared with healthy individuals, patients with Hunter syndrome have much less or even no idurinate 2-sulfatase enzyme activity. After the diagnosis is reached, Doctors may recommend genetic testing of the idurinate 2 sulfatase gene. Since there are many possible mutations in this gene, 
knowing the precise mutation involved can help doctors predict the course of the disease to a certain extent. If the child has a mutation in this gene, DNA testing is often used to determine the carrier status of the mother and other female relatives on her side of the family. It will be very important for them to seek the advice of a genetic counsellor during family planning. Parents of a child with Hunter syndrome can request prenatal testing in the early stages of any subsequent pregnancy. This is, of course, a very sensitive and complicated decision. So talking to a genetic counsellor can help families explore the options available to them and limit the chances of future children being affected by Hunter syndrome. Okay, we've covered quite a lot of ground in this first episode, so let's stop here for now. We hope this overview of the causes and diagnosis of Hunter syndrome was informative and gave you some new insights into the disease. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned for the next episode of Rarely Heard, where we'll take a closer look at Hunter syndrome and its symptoms and how these can be managed. This podcast series is initiated and funded by Takeda Pharmaceuticals and is intended for an international audience outside of the USA and UK.